Hi, this is Jason Lee, pastor of Casper Alliance Church. Thanks for stopping by our podcast. This is a weekly Sunday series, uh, clips from that. Hope you enjoy it. We're beginning a new series uh, on this one. Our head elder, Mark, is speaking. We're going to go through Hebrews through, uh, basically, we decided at the end of the summer. Hope you like it. Have a great time listening. Uh, we appreciate you. Have a good day. Thanks, Aaron. Kids time. If kids want to go for kids time, Miss Brooke is headed that way. She has a whole armload of stuff. So looks like you do not want to miss out on that. So kids, if you want to head with Brooke, that would be awesome. The rest of you, however, are stuck with me. <laughs> um, couple things just as the kids are leaving in way of introduction for those of you who do not know me. My name is Mark Ayen. I am one of the elders here at the Casper Alliance Church. I have been at this church for like 12 years, something like that, 11 years, somewhere in there. Um, and Jason is gone um, actually on a work trip this week to district conference in the exciting city of Nampa, Idaho, if anyone's ever been there. That's where he is traveling today. Um, I guess, uh, by way of introduction, I work for the Wyoming Department of Transportation, so you can blame me for a lot of things. You can't blame me for the actual snow falling, but after that, you can call and ask me questions if you want. Uh, and on that, anyone who's wanting their husbands to get back from the men's retreat, roads are opening as we speak. So they should be able to get back from Sheridan. So um, I'd been asked this morning, are they gonna be able to get back? Uh, and I actually, I was thinking about it. I had the ability to make it so they couldn't get back <laughs> if I was given enough incentive. So I'll just throw that out into the universe and see where that lands. I'm not a bad person. I'm not a bad person. I have bad thoughts sometimes. Uh, so Jason asked me uh, a couple weeks ago, he realized he was going to be gone, and so he asked if I'd be willing to fill in. I said, of course. Um, what are we doing? And he said, um, we're starting a new series on the book of Hebrews. And I said, that'd be great. I, I love Hebrews, um, and I'll talk about that in a little bit, but uh, I realized this week, um, David, if you want to throw that picture up, so this handsome young man that you can kind of see there is my son and he preached this morning at his church in the upper peninsula of Michigan in Houghton, Michigan. If you have not met him, um, you're missing out. He's, he's a great kid. A lot of you know him. He and his lovely wife, Kelly, and their most adorable son, Marshall, will be here for a large chunk of the summer. So hopefully, if you haven't met him, you will get to meet him and get to see him. Um, I, whenever I see him doing stuff like that, I'm trying to figure out how I could somehow contact that church and broadcast over the speakers my voice saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. <laughs> but I... I have not yet been able to figure out how to ever accomplish that anywhere that he's at. So, but, but I mean it. I mean, he, he is 
unfortunately, when you meet him, you can tell what it's going to look like in 30 years because <laughs> it's this. So um, anyway, that's my son, Zach. And for those of you who don't know, he and his wife, Kelly, work for an organization called The Navigators, and we as a church uh, support them monthly. As part of your giving, we give to them to support them in their ministry. So um, I like to point them out because um, they appreciate you and they love this church and they're excited to spend some time with us this summer. So uh, let's, let's go on. Um, Hebrews, I, like I said earlier, I love the book of Hebrews for a lot of reasons. Um, one of the main reasons is when my wife and I first started dating, this is the first book we studied. And we, we spent a lot of time going through Hebrews, and it always held like a special place in our hearts. It also was amazing. There is so much stuff in this book, and um, we're going to be working our way through this for like the next eight, nine weeks, 10 weeks. I'm not exactly sure how many weeks you're going to be doing it. So when Jason asked me, will you do the first, the first two chapters? He then followed that up with, I feel like you always start off the new series. And I said, well, I kind of do because it just works out that way. So I'm like, no, I got it. I'm good. But I asked him, I said, do you want to, do you want me to do like a like an introductory overview, like this is kind of the overarching. And he's like, no, let's just dive right in. Get in there, get in Hebrews chapter one, Hebrews chapter two, and let's just get right in and jump into it. So here's the problem. Hebrews chapter one and two are basically written as an introduction to the rest of the book of Hebrews. So I'm able to accomplish my goals and Jason's goals simultaneously in doing an introduction and diving right in to chapter one and two. So anyone who has ever um, written anything has learned that you always, when you write a paper, you have an introduction and then the body and then the conclusion. And what do you do in the introduction? You say what you're going to say right? And so, oddly enough, that's what the book of Hebrews starts with. Now, I'm going to throw out there before I get into this. There's a lot of speculation as to who wrote Hebrews. There's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of research. There's a lot of people who feel a lot of things about who wrote the book of Hebrews. It doesn't matter. So, I'm not going to get wrapped up around that. I'm not going to really devote a lot of time to that because it doesn't really matter. Uh, the second thing is these first couple chapters especially, there are a ton, like eight or nine, uh, cross-references to Old Testament scriptures. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on those. They're in there. I encourage you to go back and look, them, look at them if you want. Uh, they have some great, if you read some of these verses in context, it will, it will give you a lot um, of kind of background information. But what it does, and what we need to understand, is as we are reading the book of Hebrews, this is a letter to the Hebrews. So we want to keep in mind as we read through these chapters, and not just this week, but every week Jason's up here, 
that he is writing this to a people that is Hebrew, hence the name. It's not letter to the Wyomingites, Wyomingians. It's, it's written to the Hebrews. And so there's a lot of stuff. Uh, there are a lot of cross-references. There are a lot of allusions that they make that I will be pointing some of them out in that these people, as they read this, would just almost instinctively know and understand the point that's being made. So keep that in mind. Um, some of it I will try and point out. Some of it I strongly encourage you to go look at it later. Um, in fact, I can tell you next week we will have a new, I think it's next week, we will have a new edition of the invite that will be all about the first like seven books or seven chapters of the book of Hebrews. And it will have a whole bunch of stuff about these cross-references and a bunch of that kind of stuff. So anyway, uh, we're going to go ahead and start Hebrews chapter 1 in verse 1. And this is what I have called the intro to the intro. Because this is the, the very beginning. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So one of the themes we're going to see in Hebrews, and I can, I'm not spoiling anything by telling you this, but one of the things we're going to be reading about for the coming couple months is Jesus is greater than dot, dot, dot. Is kind of a theme that you're going to see throughout Hebrews. We're going to look at a little bit today. But Jesus is greater than dot, dot, dot. And here, you know, we see three things just in these four verses, which honestly, these four verses is a sermon. You know, if we're being honest, but we see here that God used to speak through the prophets, and now he speaks through who? The Son, right? He speaks through Jesus. So we know now that we have Jesus is greater than the prophets. God is using him as a prophet. We also see here that um, after making purification for sins, so Jesus now has become a priest. So we see that very clearly. And to the people, the Hebrews that are reading this, that would mean something to them, that, that he is now a priest. And then we see him sitting at the majesty of the right hand, or right hand of the majesty on high. And so Jesus is the king. So right here in the very first four verses of chapter one of the book of Hebrews, we have Jesus established as a priest, a prophet, and a king. I think it's interesting. There were several, several of the... Uh, the commentaries I read, I'm having a hard time with that word these days, commentary that I read, they, they point out the fact, and I've never read this, and like I said, I've read Rehebus a bunch, but it says, after making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Why do you sit down? You sit down when you're done. And they point out the fact that Jesus sat down at the right hand of God because he had made purification he had made atonement for our sins, and his work was completed. And that, that, to me, 
is the most important thing that we can grab onto. So, so that's the first four, chat, or first four verses of Hebrews. And I'll tell you, like I said, that could be a sermon. As we, as we move in um, to Hebrews, I, um, when I was a senior in high school, a long time ago, for the high school age kids and college age kids, a little long, long time ago, um, I took an AP English class. And Mrs. Cutter, who hopefully she's not watching this, I doubt she is, but anyway, Mrs. Cutter thought that the greatest book ever that all AP English students should read was Moby Dick. Uh, I hated Moby Dick. Honestly, I don't think I finished it. I read enough to write the book or write the paper. Um, she didn't like my paper. Has anyone read Moby Dick? So, so we had to write a character paper. I chose, of all the characters in Moby Dick, I chose to write my paper on Queequeg, which is like a deckhand with a whole bunch of tattoos. Which She's like, he's not a character. And I'm like, he is. He's in the book multiple times. But anyway, um, so the reason, so when we have these discussions, and even though I did not like the book, and I struggled reading the book, what Mrs. Cutter used to tell us was that Herman Melville, when he was writing that book, the purpose, his main purpose for writing that book was to show that whales are greater than God. And so there are whole chapters devoted to the anatomy of whales, the breeding activities of whales, the eating activities of whales, the, all the stuff about a whale. Because Herman Melville wanted to prove by the use of a lot of words that whales were greater than God. And therefore, whales were the things that were worthy of our respect. As I read into Hebrews now, I, I feel like in some ways, these next two chapters we're going to read is the, the author saying, Jesus is greater than everything. And he does it in kind of the same way. And he's going to hit a bunch of things. And he's going to talk about a thing, a couple things that all just show that Jesus is greater than all these things. So, if you have your Bible, continue in Hebrews chapter 1, uh, beginning at verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again... I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? 
Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So there's a couple of things here that we need to talk about. Um, let's talk about angels for just a minute. When you look through the Bible and when you look at um, kind of the history of the church up until this point, and you look through the Old Testament, you know, there are, there are several, several passages where angels play an important part. Um, throughout the Old Testament, there's a lot of them. Throughout the New Testament, even, you know, Mary was visited by an angel. Uh, Elizabeth was visited by an angel. So, so in the back of these people's minds, angels are a big deal. You know, angels are the way that God communicates to me. God communicates to his people. And what the, what the author here is saying is, yeah, that's nice. But my son is greater than them. So keep that in mind. So, and then we move on and it says, um, your throne of God is forever and ever. The scepter of your righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Uh, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth. So the author here is saying, Jesus is on the throne of heaven and he created everything that is. So if he's on the throne and he created it all, what does that make Jesus greater than? All of it. Right? And so then we get to the end again, and the author brings up the angels again. But in this case, he, he kind of goes a little deeper, and he's like, not only is, did I put my son above these people, or above these creatures, but he also speaks to them differently. You know, it says, to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits? So it's important here to remember that, you know, God through this letter is not only saying that Jesus is greater than the angels, but he's saying the angels were here to minister to his people. And they ministered to Jesus and Jesus again you're going to get tired of it, but you're going to hear it a lot. Jesus is greater than. Okay, let's move into chapter 2 of Hebrews. First four verses. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution... How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So you're going to find out as we read through Hebrews that there are several passages about um, the mighty work of Jesus and the mighty power of God in our lives. And then scattered throughout, there are these little warnings. And the first one comes here in chapter 2. Therefore, we must pay closer attention lest we drift away from it. What the, letter, what the writer here is saying is, 
You know, you've all heard this message. Pay attention to it. It's important. Um, and then he even brings in the angels. And he's like, you know, every time an angel came and gave a message, everybody believed it. Everyone listened to it. It came from an angel. Since Jesus is bigger than the angels, why wouldn't you listen to the message that he brought? The message of salvation. And um, it's, it's interesting because he even brings up, I was thinking about this. You know, Jason always talks about how everything that we talk about here, we talked about in Sunday school immediately prior to this. So if anyone wasn't in adult Sunday school this morning, you missed out a little bit. It's just a commercial. Uh, While God bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, God is continually attesting to his power and his majesty. He did it in the Old Testament. He did it in Exodus. We're getting ready to start going through the ten plagues. So it's a good jumping on point if you want to join us on Sunday mornings. Um, But then also, you know, to to this group of people in the, the first century church, you know, there's all those references to Pentecost and speaking in tongues and all those kinds of things. And so, so they're just saying here, pay attention to the message that Jesus brought. Jesus sent people to bring the message, and then he backed it up with wonders and signs and miracles. Pay attention to that, because otherwise what's going to happen is you're going to drift away. And that's not a good place to go. You want to stay right there where they're at. So, um, like I said, this is one of many warnings. There's supposedly five. I think there's probably a few more, but that's just my personal opinion. So, um, continuing on. Chapter 2, verse 8. Nope, chapter 2, verse 5. That God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking, it has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. Okay, there's a phrase in this passage that we need to take just a minute to talk about. And it's a phrase I know you've all heard, son of man. You know, we just read in the last couple couple weeks, we went through the whole um, Easter story, the, the crucifixion and the resurrection. And... Um, We heard several times, Jesus refers to himself as the son of man 80-something times in the Gospels. Depending on which translation you're reading, it's more or less. But I wanted to read one one passage out of the book of Mark, um, because Mark is obviously my favorite book. And so this is when Jesus is standing before the high priest, And he says, and the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? 
And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. So when you see the Son of Man, I'm going to give you two passages that you need to think about in your life. Um, the first one is Psalm chapter Psalm 8. And Psalm 8 is honestly one of my favorite psalms uh, because there's a lyrics to a Sandy Patty song in it. But I'm going to read to you Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. You to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field. The birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So when... When the Hebrew people hear this psalm and they hear the Son of Man, they immediately think of a passage from the book of Daniel. So, Psalm 8, Daniel 7, chapter, chapter 7, beginning at verse 9. And so, this is Daniel's giving a vision. And this is the middle of a vision about four beasts and there's some horns and a big horn eating a smaller horn and... A lot of that kind of stuff. But I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to read. And as I looked, thrones were placed and the Ancient of Days took his seat. The Ancient of Days is God in this case. The Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from... Before, from before him, a thousand thousands served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Here's the part. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." So it's interesting because there are, there are other references to Son of Man. Um, and a lot of people will look at it and think, well, Son of Man just means he's human, right? But whenever Jesus references himself in any of the Gospels, he references himself as the Son of Man, which kicks you right to Daniel and to Psalm. So um, as we read through this, letter to the Hebrews and we read about the son of man, you know, the audience this was written to is immediately looking at that as, as this is the guy 
that came to the throne on the cloud and God said, you get it all. So, um, okay, let's continue on. Verse nine of chapter two. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Okay, in my translation, it took one chapter and another nine verses before we even see the name of Jesus. So I think that's kind of an interesting. Other translations may be different, but in mine, it's like the son, the son, the son, my son, and then here we get Jesus. Um, name of Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell you of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself had suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. So this, this part of chapter two, oh, it, you know, this, this to, for me kind of gets to the whole crux of the matter um, in my life. And this is the grasping the concept of God becoming man. For God becoming lower than the angels and suffering and being tempted and calling us brothers. And I look at that and I think, I don't get it. I'm glad it happened, but I don't get it. And it's just interesting, you know, as you read through this, and I think instinctively, you know, anybody who's been around the church, you know, they know that Jesus came and he died on the cross so that he could defeat death. And I think a lot of people look at that and they think, but people still die. But Hebrews clears that up and he says, you know, he defeats death. Death is no longer sovereign. Death no longer has any power. But what Jesus defeated was the fear of death. 
Famous passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So I wrestled when I read this passage in Hebrews because they're very clear to make it to, to point out that we are no longer in slavery to the fear of death. And I was like, what does that, what does that mean? What does it mean to be in slavery to the fear of death? And I think when you're afraid, you're afraid everywhere. And fear of death sometimes makes us afraid to live. And, you know, this passage in 1 Corinthians, you know, goes on. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. God has sent us here to do a thing. We all have a different thing. My thing is not the same thing as Sherry's thing or Joe's thing or Aaron's thing. We all have a thing. But if I constantly live in the fear of death, I'm going to be afraid to do it. And I just, I, I think that when Jesus died on the cross and we, he went to hell and there's the verses where he came back and he has the keys and, you know, there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of stuff out there. You know, death no longer has any power. We're still, you know, we can still die, but I don't have to be afraid of that anymore. And I can live my life. And I can do the thing that God wants me to do. And I think that's the message um, here in Hebrews in chapter 2. You know, God, God is greater um, than all these things. But God also sent his son to defeat death so that we could live brave. I guess, for lack of a better phrase. Um, and it's interesting because then there's this weird, it seems like whenever Jason gives me a passage, there's a weird verse at the end that sometimes I'm like, someone just threw this in. There's an editor somewhere for the book of Hebrews. But this is the, um, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. You know, in my mind, I want to think, you know what? Jesus was never tempted. Jesus is better than I am. Jesus had it all together. He didn't deal with temptation. But very clearly, 
it says right here that he suffered when tempted. So he was tempted. And so, you know, and we've always heard, you know, keep in mind, you know, Jesus is always there. He's always there to help. He understands we've been tempted. He understands your pain. You know, we know all those things, but I just, you know, I think in the back of my mind, I always thought, you know what? He didn't, he didn't really suffer. He was Jesus. He wasn't tempted. He was Jesus. But scriptures are pretty clear. He was tempted and he suffered for it. And so he knows when he is the high priest and he's standing before the throne of God, he knows what I go through and what I suffer with. Um, I found a great quote. Um, I grew up uh, in the Lutheran church. For those of you who don't know that, um, I born and bred Lutheran. Uh, did the whole confirmation and catechism and, and all the stuff. Uh, but I found a quote from Martin Luther that I like. So I'm going to share that. Martin Luther was often very graphic in his description of the activities of the devil. Asked one time how he overcame the devil, he replied, Well, when he comes knocking on the door of my heart and asks, who lives here? The dear Lord Jesus goes to the door and says, Martin Luther used to live here, but he has moved out. Now I live here. The devil, seeing nail prints in his hands and the pierced side, takes flight immediately. <clears throat> As we spend the next couple months going through Hebrews, it's a, it's a weighty book. There's a lot of stuff in there. And I, I want to encourage you, if nothing else, to take some time outside of showing up here on Sunday and watching Jason or whoever's here talk at you. Take some time in this book, read it, dig into it, find what you can, um, grab the invite when it's available, Grab the resources that are available because, you know, we, we live that Jesus is greater than, dot, dot, dot. That's our life. We need to live that way. Jesus is greater than, and so because of that, I can live. So I'm going to have the uh, worship team come up. They're going to lead us in a song, and it's a song that I requested. Uh, we do not, do not, donut. We do not do this song very often at this church. Um, but as I was as I was wrestling through the idea of the Son of Man this week, this song came to mind, um, and it also speaks a lot to you know Jesus is greater than dot dot dot. So. Um, I'm going to ask that you stand, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing, and then when we're done singing, y'all are dismissed. So, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you.